Here we go. It is the BCJ Podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com. As always, you know the drill. Head down and see our good friends at the Holy Grail. They will get you taken care of anytime you're downtown near the banks. And especially our first watch party of the season, Saturday night, 6.30 at the Holy Grail. The Bearcats take on the Pitt Panthers. So make sure you are heading down to the banks on Saturday, hopefully here in the next 24 hours or so, we have a big announcement uh, to go along with our event this week that I think uh, will make everybody happy. So head down to the banks and make sure you visit our friends at the Holy Grail. The Reds are in a pennant race. The Bengals are getting started. It is our home base. It should be yours, too. Hi, Dave. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Big announcement. I'm I won't be there, so I guess it's not that big. Well, we know you won't be there. You're not allowed to come. You've only <laughs> come to one, and they lost, so you're never allowed to come back. That is an accurate statement. I mean, you've never been to one at the Grail, but no. I don't think I, I don't think I want to risk a loss to find out whether or not it was the old location. That no, was the, the true the true the true OGs will remember that one. Yeah. Back before we uh, <coughs> we were the uh, measuring stick for moving the needle uh, with UC fans. Yeah. But uh, I'm excited. It should be a good one, I think. I think the kids coming with me might have a friend. And uh should be should be a, an eventful Saturday evening. And isn't uh, but Alabama, Texas is on at 7. They are. They're a very, uh, I think week two is going to end up being much better top to bottom all day affair than week one. There are a lot of good games uh, or good, interesting, like, you know, but yes, a lot of good games, interesting games this week should be some excellent weather to uh, stand outside there and, and do some drinking and watching and As we uh, as we shift things around, Dave, uh, I think no better idea than uh, this first segment here being our home field apparel rewind because okay. home field likes to do vintage. They like to do old school. By Wednesday, there's nothing more old school than the game that was played on Saturday. Yeah. So this segment, the opening segment here on the BCJ podcast through the football season is the can't miss kickoff segment presented by Home Field uh, Apparel, www.homefieldapparel.com. 15% off your order, your first order with the promo code BCJ23. And you can get all of the awesome UC merch that they have in the Cincinnati collection, joggers, hoodies, quarter zips, t-shirts, crewnecks, you name it. They've got great branding. They've got a bunch of uh, really cool old stuff. Um, and they have the most comfortable apparel in college sports. So can't miss kickoff, homefieldapparel.com, and they will get you taken care of. And uh, Dave, let's let's discuss 
a little bit. We don't have to get too detailed. I, I know you uh, you dove into it pretty deeply on the brunch, uh, the Bearcat brunch on Sunday morning. Hayden Moore was your special guest, and we've also hit on it a couple times. So a lot of our thoughts are out there, but I know this is, uh, for some people, this is the show that they choose to watch every week. So we will we will briefly touch and go on Eastern Kentucky. And I guess for me, the right way to put it is I saw what I wanted to see. Like, I I don't think there's anything really that I can look at that game and say, I was looking for this and I didn't get it. I mean, you can really dig down into maybe this player didn't have the impact I thought he would or, or whatever the case may be. But if you, if you told me 66 to 13, they scored touchdowns on their first six possessions scored on their first seven possessions 500 plus yards offense, nine touchdowns. Like, I, I think you would be greedy. Emory Jones played great. The wide receiver core uh, made everything that we said during camp look really smart. Um, that's really what I'm here for is for them to do things that made our reporting look smart. Um, and, and we got pretty much all of that. I agree. I mean, the way I look at it is you have a first game with a ton of unknowns, and so you kind of take away the opponent aspect of it when you're evaluating that. And if you just look at it in the mechanics of it all, like you said, over 600 yards, obviously all the touchdowns, high completion percentage, really no – I mean, no turnovers by the Bearcats, but not even really any, like, like, turnover-worthy throws by Emory. He didn't – put the ball in a bad spot and just get lucky or something like that happen. Um, you know, very few penalties, uh, you know, so yeah, if you, you know, and there are things I've got, I've actually gone back and watched most of the game twice and have, have picked up on a couple things that I'm sure the coaches are harping on, but from a fan base going into a season with a lot of, you know, just question marks, you know, expectations kind of all over the place. You saw what you wanted to see. Probably you saw more than you expected. I mean, let's be real. Regardless of who the opponent was, they could have been playing the worst FCS team. And I don't think anybody would have expected the quarterback to complete, you know, 80% of his passes for five touchdowns and, and you know, running backs to run for 200 like. It, it, I think it eclipsed all realistic expectations. So, you know, that's a good starting point. But we also know that this week and the majority of the rest of the season, you're not playing EKU. And those things that looked really good, they, you know, they might have been masked a little bit by just a pure, pure talent advantage. So, we'll, you know, we'll see how it goes. But teams also grow as the season goes on. So those things can also, you know, that you maybe wouldn't get away with if you were playing Oklahoma or Kansas State. By the time you play Oklahoma, you might have those things figured out. So it's just, you know, every game is is kind of its own animal, especially now at the portal. You know, I think there's – we've talked about how you can you can kind of get rid of those, like, not UC was never going to be in a year zero situation. They had too much returning talent on the team, but like with the portal and an experienced coaching staff, I don't think there's any reason that people should have thought that like, this would be like a total rebuild season, like a total tear down to the studs 
hope to be competitive type season. Like, and I think what we saw Saturday, regardless of the opponent, kind of reaffirms that. I think the biggest question any of us had, essentially, well, a lot of you know people that maybe didn't pay close attention during camp would say wide receiver, but I think for us the biggest question was offensive line. You watched it live. You've watched it now, mostly twice on tape. Uh, I, I know you're not an offensive line guru, but what did you come away with watching the line? I thought kind of the same thing that we talked about on Sunday morning. Like They were good up front for the most part. They were good on the interior, and I think they can be better at the tackle spots. Um, you know, there was not a ton of pressure, and – on Emory and you know that's the thing like how much of that is just these guys that we're playing just aren't able to get to him versus yeah. this week against Pitt you know have a lot more concern they're going to come and they their defense is their calling card and and I think we'll get a truer sense of of the line like I think they'll I think they'll do all right but it's a matter of and we'll get into when we talk about Pitt like Emory was very rarely harassed, you know, uh, I mean, he he got hit a couple times, but like how many throws uh, does he not have to worry about because there's just nobody around him versus this week or people at his feet or people, is he getting hit a lot more, which is then forcing him to put the ball in a bad spot. Like, you know, where this week, I feel like there were a couple throws that, he probably got away with based on placement and guys just making, especially like Xavier Worthy, making a couple really good catches. Yeah, the but, Xavier and, Henderson and the Chris Scott catches were impressive catches. Yeah. So are those, you know, can you do that again this week against the defensive backfield that you know has three really good corners? You know, it's it's to be seen. But those are just kind of the things that I'm sure they're going over. My watch more so was on the defensive side just to kind of see like what Brian Brown's scheme actually looked like in a game. Uh, and I, I found it interesting and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but they moved the defensive line a lot. And I, I don't know if I wasn't expecting that or it just, or I should have been and it just, it shouldn't have surprised me, but they, they did a lot of games. They did a lot of, you know, twists, tackle and stunts and I just I didn't think they did a real good job of it like a couple times they would loop Dante around and it was almost like he took it too wide and then a couple times guys would run into each other and then I I don't think the linebackers had a very good game there were times when Dorian Jones would kind of shoot too fast and get trapped kind of get swallowed up in the stunt and then I thought there were times Jack Dingle was a little slow um, to recognize where the, the play was going, especially on their one touchdown drive. One of the runs, like they, they twisted Dante out of the middle and he went pretty far to the left and the the end, whoever that was, just didn't get there in time. And the, the back went right up the middle and Dorian Jones had kind of fired too quick and got kind of washed out. So... And then on their touchdown pass, they dropped Dante into coverage. Like, he's four yards off the ball, and I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm not criticizing. I'm just, you know, like, what is he going to do there? Like, he's not going to cover a crosser. 
he's not gonna, you know, like, uh, and they threw it right over his head. Yeah. For the, so it's like, you know, having, you know, my thinking is you either, you know, goes head up on the center and shoves him back or gap scheme gaps it and takes up the guard in the center. Like I just, it felt like there was maybe too much trying to like fool him, so to speak, and not as much just like blunt force trauma. And maybe that's just like, hey, we know we're going to win. Let's see what, like, let, let's see what these guys do when we make these calls. You know, they're already up. They were already up, what, 28 nothing, 35 nothing when they yeah. scored their only touchdown. So, I'm, you know, nothing, yeah. in the grand scheme, it's not a huge deal. But, like, this week against a better offensive line, probably better running backs, like, if you do that and you get out of position and your linebackers aren't in their run fits, then you're going to get gashed for way more than just a couple long runs. Yeah. The, the Defensively, I thought it, like, it felt pretty vanilla. We, we didn't really see that, like, relentless everybody up the field kind of mentality that we've heard is coming, which is understandable. One, like we talked about, they did exactly – Eastern did exactly what we thought they were going to do and got the ball out insanely quick. Like it was, you know, one count, two count, let it go. Um, especially setting the tone early. And then when you set the tone early with that, like then the defense just is is kind of lulled into like Yeah, I mean I, we're probably not getting home. So let's let's I don't know. Yeah, I smart. obviously didn't track it, but I can only think of off the top of my head one throw that went further than twenty air yards. It was on the far far sideline, um, you know, kind of a crosser got in there between the corner and the safety coming over. So yeah, it was a lot of quick slants, a lot of you know, get the ball out fairly quickly, and and that can be frustrating for for defensive linemen, especially when they've been working all summer. Go go on, go go. Yeah, this defense, we're pinning their ears back. You just rush and rush and rush, but I mean. It's not the only team that plays offense like that, so they got to figure out a way to 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 play it. So, I mean, other than that, though, it's I mean, like we said, sixty six thirteen. I'm I'm clearly just looking for you know, like I said, interesting things. Not even saying we're talking about what we want to see, what we wanted to see going into the game. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that fits under things that you were looking for, especially like you said. You're going to see this dance more than once of teams that want to get it to the quarterback hands and get it out to their wide receivers, their playmakers as quick as possible. Um, But I thought they neutralized a really good quarterback. Like I was talking to a couple of the D linemen that were really, really impressed with him and said he had a great pocket presence. He had a great feel for where pressure was coming from what was going on around him. They like said just, you know, in in the in the stuff that like football players look for, that that was a really, really good college quarterback that, you know, kept the defense on their toes with his ability to not only get it out hot, but also understand like, okay, it's here's where the pressure is, here's where the, you know, and, and manipulate things. And, and he still as good as he he looked, he did not have a great day. Like it wasn't like he played great. No, I ex- I expected him to play better, to hit more 
passes down the field. Um, yeah. Just because, I mean, just because, like you said, his experience, their offensive line's experience, like, you know, the, their playbook was not shortened by any means when you have a six-year quarterback who's done what he's done. Like, you, you run your stuff. And if, if UC stops it, then they stop it. But you're not going to, like, take the ball out of his hands, so to speak, to try to keep the game closer than maybe, you know, what the final score ended up being. Right. No, I, I thought defensively, yeah, there, there are some things that they're going to have to improve on, not only for Pitt, but going forward. I, I wasn't too concerned about the two long runs. Um, I think the run fit probably wasn't great, but – you were also playing a team that just wasn't running the ball and then they were down 40. Like all of a sudden you're going to, you're going to start playing, you know, uh, run fits in those situations. And they hit two big gains on plays up the gut where, yeah, the linebackers probably weren't in the right spot, but also they probably weren't attacking the line of scrimmage thinking, well, yeah, I mean, they, 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 hit the, they hit the run plays because we happened to run, a stunt that pulled yeah. Dante out of the middle of the field. Like that's right where they ran. They just happened to call it on the exact play that he's looping outside and, you know, beat the, beat the other guy there coming back. Right. So um, offensively, I was pleased or defensively. I was mostly pleased offensively. Look, I mean, the only thing I, I think I've said negative about the offense is, is I wonder what things would have looked like if they had punted on fourth and five. Like, because I think hitting that play on fourth and five over the top just released all of the, like, jitters. Yeah. Any pregame anticipation. Like, you know, you go, you know, two first downs and out and give the ball to them and all of a sudden everybody's maybe looking around and going all right we gotta we gotta get on the same page but instead great play call straight over the top uh xavier henderson we'll see i i I think he's going to be very good against everybody but it was very clear that eastern kentucky did not have corners that could play with Xavier Henderson. No, I mean, he ran kind of like almost like a fake wheel route because he, he kind of took it and then didn't go as deep inside as you normally would. He like broke it off and kind of just went because the the two receivers were almost like in the same line, which wouldn't, doesn't normally happen on a, on a true uh, wheel. No, but I mean, his ability to go get it, Emory put it up there perfectly dropped it right in the bucket, and then uh, he, he kind of exploded from there in the first half. But you could tell that was and, – and I'm, it, it, it surprised me throughout camp that he wasn't just – and maybe some of it was D. Wiggins getting dinged up for a little bit, that, you know, Henderson wasn't just automatically the number one, yeah. you know, option. But – it was pretty clear that that him and Emory Jones are uh, accustomed to to playing together. Yeah, I will say he he's pretty loose with the ball. He's, there were a couple of those I thought he you know very close to just a dude coming in and and popping it out for a fumble. Yeah, that's not going to work <laughs> all season. Uh, 
We'll see how if they've worked hey, on that with him. Kudos to Nico. Must have great grip strength. Great hand strength. The strength is in the hands yeah. for Xavier Henderson. But I mean, ultimately, look, Emory Jones for his debut. You couldn't have asked for for a better three quarters out of uh, a guy in his first start at Cincinnati. Absolutely. Anything stand out to you about his performance? I mean, nothing new after watching and talking Sunday morning. I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty cut and dry that it was it was really good. So, yeah, running backs they 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 mix and matched. Everybody was pretty much getting a series here and there, and then Kiner kind of got the hot hand. But I mean, I thought on that second series, Miles Montgomery looked great. Oh, he did. I mean, he's gonna. That's like Kiner busted that one right up the middle. But, like, in kind of the true zone blocking runs, like, Miles, 8 yards, 10 yards, 13 yards. Like, he – it was clear that he he kind of – not saying Corey doesn't, but, like, he clearly understands how to run the ball in that type of a scheme. It looks very natural for him. Mm-hmm. Very, very natural for Miles Montgomery in this set. Um, I you didn't see a lot from Ryan Montgomery and, and Ethan Wright. I didn't think, I didn't think they really, really flashed. Um, were you surprised? Didn't see anything from the tight ends or, I mean, not the Peyton Singletary had the one yard catch, but I thought it was obvious. The mismatch was clearly wide receiver. So they just went back to that over and over again. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you you only threw the ball twenty seven total times. What one guy had? What Xavier had? Xavier had nine. Is that right? Seven, I think. Seven. So yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a you know and and you had a sixty five yard touchdown, a thirty nine yard touchdown, and a forty nine yard touchdown. So those ended drives. So you know somebody's going to you know Donald Nolly didn't have a catch, but I'm I'm sure I think he graded out quite well. He was he blocked his ass off. I noticed. Oh, that's a um, physical kid, man. He loves it. So you know somebody's going to get the short end of the stick. You know when it comes to targets in a situation like that, where it's not a back and forth game, where then you're up a bunch, so then you're probably running the ball more. Um, and you know like Xavier Xavier Henderson only played like. I want to say 20, what I see, 26 snaps, 29 snaps. Yeah, the snap counts were really low. They did a great job of yeah, they played, everybody fresh. They played 79 guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, even if you look at D-line, like those numbers, those number of snaps were in the 20s for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, in a situation like that, somebody's going to get, you know, squeezed out when it comes to a, a targets. When you know you're going to throw it to him, you know you're going to throw it to Braden Smith. And then, you know, you're going to run the ball and, you know, sprinkle in a ball here and there, you know. Evan had three balls. Uh, D had the one. Yeah, Chris Scott had the one. So. Thoughts on the usage of Aaron Turner? I love it. I mean, that, I mean, you know this. Most of the people listening to this know this. That is the type of stuff that I bitched about for the last two years. That we yep. didn't didn't do with Trey Tucker. Like you're telling me Trey Tucker couldn't have ran that damn play. Right. <laughs> like, 
And obviously Ben's not good. Ben Bryant's not going to be like an option threat. Sprint option quarterback, right. But, they but know where the ball's going. But you're telling me that you couldn't run a reverse or something with Trey Tucker like they're doing with Aaron Turner, or you can't bring him across for a pop pass or like, I don't know, man, it's one game and it's Eastern Kentucky, but I felt like one game's worth of offense was so refreshing and made so much more sense than 13 games worth of offense last year. Yeah, I mean, you're dealing with a head coach that's been a play caller for a long-ass time. Like, if he's not got down the the flow of play calling by this point in his career, like, when's it going to happen? <laughs> you know? Right. So, no, I, Aaron Turner, I, I thought, was used perfectly. Um, I don't know. Anything else, offense and defense, you can think of? No, not really. I mean, I think. There's only so much to say about a a win like that. So, special teams: uh, Carter Brown, nine extra points and a forty-seven-yard field goal. Apparently, Kerry Combs was not pleased with the special teams. Well, you had the Jamal Williams penalty that I think he just yeah got bright-eyed on the the thought that he was as close as he was to to sneaking in on the backside, <laughs> and then. The, the punt catch interference, I mean, that was an absolute moonshot by Mason Fletcher. Yeah. But the, as punt, a gunner, the gunners were down there a second before the ball came down. As a gunner, though, you got to find the ball, too. I know. I know. <laughs> you can't just like, be, it's can't it's just definitely be scaring at the, at the returner thinking he's about to catch it, and then you just drill him. It's definitely on the returner. <laughs> but that punt was destroyed there was 57 minutes of frustration built up in mason fletcher's leg on that punt. <laughs> um but no yeah, i thought i mean I, mean, I thought they did fairly well on kickoff coverage um you know it's you never seem to break stuff anymore knock on wood but it's, it's just tough i mean i think rory bell has a good leg to get the ball into the end zone more times than not yeah um so, yeah, all in all, fairly well. Yeah, I, I know. That's what coaches want, though. They, they want a 66 to 13 win with uh, an ability to go back and complain about things. Yeah. Right? That's every coach's, like, biggest biggest dream is to win big and then be like, well, we got some stuff we got to work on. You, got, you guys didn't, didn't get the job done in this area. Whatever that may be. All right. I don't really have anything else to you. Not on that one. No. All right. That is your Turtles Brew timestamp brought to you by Turtles Brew. Turtlesbrew.com for information and locations. 6.6% ABV, zero sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free, bourbon-infused sweet tea, cherry lime, raspberry peach, orange vanilla, 50 locations in greater Cincinnati. A proceed, a portion of the proceeds go to save the sea turtles. They are in Cincinnati and Toledo and expanding now in central Ohio. So that's the Turtles Brew timestamp. And that brings us to our preview. Our time to look at the opponent for this week. And that, 
is going to be brought to you by Team Ticker. It's a one-of-a-kind sports sign for Bearcat fans. You can see the Paul there. Aaron's got the Bearcat. It's a high-tech retro display that provides daily updates of the latest news, stats, schedules, betting odds, and much more. No subscription required. If you're looking for the perfect addition to your man cave or a gift for that special Bearcats fan, maybe to spruce up that dorm room, go to teamticker.com. Pick up your team ticker today. And uh, they also have now Michigan State, if you, uh, for some reason, have a Michigan State fan in your family like Dave. Yes. If I if we got your wife a Michigan State one, would she find a way to hang that behind you? I, I, I doubt it. Because <laughs> I would be the one hanging it. And if I haven't hung the UC one yet, I'm probably not going to hang the Michigan State. Well, maybe she State. would like annoy you to the point that you hung it she's so sweet she could ne- she ne- never annoy me she would never ever do that no, never you're right let's get to the pit panthers uh pat narduzzi an old friend is on the sidelines for uh, a pit program that has has become stable and steady and solid uh it's what you'd expect from a, a mark d'antonio disciple um, it, this is going to be a tough one. They are going to play a physical punch you in the face brand of football that it looks very similar to what you see fans have watched over the last six years. And the one thing that they have in common with that staff from the past six years is they've been pretty good at figuring out how to grind out games and how to rack up wins. They they're, at that point now where they're pretty regularly an eight, nine win team. Um, they're a, a fringe top 25 team right now. They handled Wofford pretty easily. So what's, what's the Dave Simone overview of the Pitt Panthers? Oh, let's see. Let's start with some data. SP plus Pitt 28, UC 38. FPI, Pitt 28, UC 31. Sagarin, Pitt 33, UC 42. So these teams, they're pretty close. I mean, I think the seven it start it opened at seven, it went to eight. Now I've seen it, then I've seen it at seven and a half, and I've also seen it at seven. I think that's reasonable. I think there's, you know, home home field advantage. Still a lot of questions about UC. I mean, I don't think from a betting perspective or from a national perspective, anything was truly answered by beating the daylights out of EKU. Sure. So Nor by them beating the daylights out right. of Wofford. It wasn't like a seven point game going in was going to all of a sudden be like a two point game or something. Um, for whatever it's worth in the FCS SP plus EKU is 33rd and Wofford is 66th. Wofford is coming off of a three and eight season. So I think UC definitely played the better opponent of the two. Uh, And I think that bears out also in some of the stats from their game against Wofford. It was a dominant defensive performance. Yeah. yeah, Wofford's running backs had 11 carries for 27 yards. Pitt had four sacks for, and six tackles for loss. They hardly, they completed one long pass. Other than that, I think they threw the ball for 50 yards the whole game. So yeah. just like UC is, you know, going to be facing a much different defense, they're also going to be facing a much different offense. Let's be real about that. Um, 
their defensive backs are their calling card, MJ Devonshire, AJ Woods, Marquise Williams, all fifth-year guys, all have played a ton, like good, good players. You know, so we'll see how our receivers translate. I mean, we have speed, we have size. We'll see how they can 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 you know adjust and work on that. Up front, they don't I mean they're obviously replacing Kalijah Kansi, who was a first round draft pick in last April's draft. They have a good group, probably led by Dayon Hayes and then Bengali Kamara at linebacker, but there isn't familiar name. Yeah. There isn't like a typical pit like this dude is a double digit sack. Like I remember Bengali obviously, you know, Kalijah Kansi, Aaron Donald. I remember, remember like Greg Romeus. Um, they've, they've always seemed to have like at least one guy who kind of stood out. I think they're a collectively good group, but I don't know if there's like this guy on the edge where you're just like, holy shit, how are we going to block him type of player? So they, they're probably weakest at safety. They're replacing two starters at safety. So how do we maybe integrate the tight end more? How do we get the ball to the running backs more out of the backfield? How, do we see more of those type of plays with Aaron Turner or Brayden Smith? Because that's typically who is going to be matched up when that guy comes around. It's probably going to be a linebacker or safety. Um, you know, biggest question in this game, in my opinion, is how does the UC offensive line fare against yeah. a much better unit than they saw last week? How much pressure is Pitt able to get on Emory Jones? Does that pressure result in sacks? Does it result in, you know, fumbles? Does it result in turnovers? Or does Emory, you know, it's a very cliche live just to fight another day, but like, does is Emory willing to, on third and eight, is he willing to throw it away and just let us punt and play defense? Or does he try to jam something into a spot that it, that it shouldn't, you know, go like how many, how many bad plays are made worse or how many bad plays are just bad plays. And we run another down or we punt or, you know, kick a field goal, whatever it might be. Yeah. Like that to me is, is the main take a three yard sack. Like it's okay to take a three yard sack. It's like, yeah. Instead of trying to fight out of it and then you get hit from the other side and fumble or, you're, some dude's hanging on your leg and you try to throw one in that, you know, has no chance of getting there. Like, yes, absolutely. How many of those plays are there? Uh, and how? what are the outcomes of those? Those are, you know, that's probably my biggest question on how this game's going to go. Four-man front? Yep. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're basic. And, and that's the thing is there are, I would call them advantages, but I don't know how much, you know, we'll see. Are they worth nothing? Are they worth a lot? Like there, UC has a lot of advantages in this game. They obviously know what Pitt does with this personnel. You know, they know, they'll know the majority of the personnel. Their offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti, was their offensive coordinator last year, so they know what his offense looks like at Pitt. They played last year, Louisville won. 2410. He was also the offensive coordinator at Boston College in 20 and 21 when Phil Dracovic was the quarterback and Louisville played them then. 
So they not only know what a pit Frank Signetti offense looks like, they'll have an idea of what a pit or what a Frank Signetti offense looks like with Phil Dracovic at quarterback. Right. So, you know, there are these, you know, just little nuances and, you know, they're not going to have to scramble to, to find worthwhile tape to scout. Like they'll, they'll know what works against this defense. What doesn't they'll know defensively. Like this is what we did against Dracovic that worked. This is what we did against him. that didn't, this is what we, that worked against Pitt last year and what didn't. So there's a lot more on that side than it is for Pitt versus, you know, coming back the other direction. They obviously played Louisville last year, but it's very hard to like, you can know the plays, but the players make, make it happen. Sure. Like, like Scott Satterfield might be calling totally different plays because he has different personnel, but they seem similar. So you're just, you're never quite sure how that's going to go the other way. So, you know, they, UC has some things on their side, I would say, but Pitt also does. Pitt has more experience playing together. It's at home. Like they may just, all these things may just wash out, but you know, there, there are definitely little things that, uh, you usually don't have when you're talking non-conference games with a new coaching staff. Yeah, the, the familiarity is definitely not low. Right. Like they're the, these two sides. And did, did you get the sense listening to the press conferences this week and all the other stuff that maybe these two guys don't like each other all that much? Well, I mean, I. I... <laughs> Where's the line of people that do like Pat Narduzzi? That's fair, but he was the one kind of coming at Satterfield a bunch. I don't know. I don't know. I just got the sense that, like, I didn't feel like there was a – there was, let's just put it this way. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, we have a ton of mutual respect. Oh, yeah, these or, guys, they, they're, 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 you know, the, the all the smoke and bullshit that they blow – coaches right. blow about each other, like – but I mean, yeah. like, but the, the, you'll hear that a lot more when the coaches genuinely do like each other. They'll try not to like. Yes, it's it's. I certainly think it will be different conversation when UC plays Iowa State. Right. Like I, I just felt a lot <laughs> of like, like, like this. Yeah, like a little both bit. Sides were little bit of to, like uh, needling and yeah. Trying especially to, last night on the coaches show. Trying to be funny, you know, when you're just your football coaches, you're not funny. Yeah, where like Satterfield was like, he says I don't run quarterback draw. Like I've been running quarterback draw ever since I've been doing this. Now, if Scott Satterfield was me, or if I was him, he would run QB draw on the first play. Yeah, just you know, here it is. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope you didn't prepare for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just felt like maybe there was a level of like these these two guys. There's something there. Maybe where hey. they don't they don't care for each other. You know, time. I'm here for that. I know. I just, I just didn't get that. Like, like you talked about, there's a lot of connections uh, where they, they should know a lot about each other. And you didn't hear a lot of like, I have a great respect for yeah his defense or I have a great, we've, ha- we've had a lot of hard yeah. fought battles against each yeah. other. And then, you know, blah, blah. right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not about the old mutual respect society. Like I want coaches to be more like, I hate this guy. He sucks. Yeah, I, I just didn't – I didn't get the uh, – I didn't feel a lot of love between the two parties. Right. Uh, Monday and, and yesterday. So, offensively for Pitt, 
Uh, what big offensive line, physical running backs? Yeah, I mean we'll start start with Dracovic, transferred from Boston College. Big Originally dude. at Notre Dame, right? Yeah, one season at Notre Dame, and yeah. then BC for three, I guess, and now this one um, was hurt in the twenty one season, I think. Didn't play much of that year. Big dude, 6'5", 235. He moves fairly well. Like, he had a rushing touchdown, 24, 25-yard rushing touchdown, where he just kind of, you know, designed run outside the pocket. Like, that would not have been a touchdown against UC. We'll just be frank. Like, he scored that touchdown because it was Wofford. Um, But you do have to respect him. Like, he will take off and run a little bit. He's not like a total statue back there. Um. I don't know. I, I guess he was very hyped coming out. Obviously went to Notre Dame. Had some decent years at BC, but like he's a 60% career passer any way you slice it. Which which in college is not good. Um, it's not terrible, but it's not it's great. Not good. It's not, no, it's pretty bad. Like with how much quick game teams do, like 60% is pretty, pretty bad. For your, if you're supposed to be good, and as a career, you know, for your career, yeah, I know what you're saying. He's he was 59 percent last year. Like I'm giving him a little bit of credit, saying he's 60 percent. But um, you know, 2020 probably best year, but that's again COVID year. Like, do we do you throw that? Like, how much do you put into that? Had Signetti as his coordinator, 61 percent, 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, five interceptions. Here's the other one too. He had Zay Flowers as his main target. You know, first team all ACC that year. And then last year, third team all, all American. Last year, he was 59%, 11 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Like, and Pitt does not have a wide receiver anywhere near the same class as Zay Flowers. Not many do. No, well, right. But like, <laughs> I, you know, I guess Bub, this guy's name is Bub Means which is a pretty solid, solid name. Bub means and Kanata Mumfield Mumfield, top, top wide receiver targets. I do have some concern about their tight end usage. I think that's a spot that they have some, some quality players. Um, Gavin Bartholomew and Carter Johnson, both vets, both big dudes. Like I'll be interested to see this will be probably Deshaun Pace's first true experience. Like, coverage wise against a guy that size in this new scheme how do they handle that when you know i'm sure they're going to go two tight ends how you know how how does uc's alignment change with two tight ends on the field um it's a running back by committee you know rodney hammond is listed as their starter but he only had five carries last week daniel carter led him with 11 carries for 65 yards and a touchdown and he's more of like a fullback build. He's 5'10", 230. So they're they're clearly in a running back by committee phase. Sebo Flemister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to be 5'10", 230. <laughs> I'm right around 5'9", two. <laughs> Something. Ballpark. It's distributed differently, but it's right, fine. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> me too. Sebo uh, Flemister, nine carries for 27 yards. So I'm not sure they know exactly who they're – main guy is if they're even planning on going that route i mean very similar to what uc is doing right now i think they have solid good skill guys but 
I, I'm trying not to say this to like bring like to like get enthused of like you see but like no one scares me like they do not I don't think they have a guy on offense that you're just like damn like what are we going to do to stop this guy right if we stop him we stop their offense yeah like they don't have a Tajay Spears they don't have you know a receiver Shady McCoy a receiver like a UCF has had or an S, even an SMU has had like I don't think these guys are Sunday players. Um, so it's like, you know, how, you know, play your defense, you have a good shot. Uh, offensive line is strong, but sounds like there's still some questions there. Their top guard, uh, Ryan Jacoby, was injured the week before the first game uh, out for the year. So they have, you know, a backup in it, one of the guard positions. You know, they're going to be big. They're going to be they're going to try to push UC, but like, I mean, UC's got a couple big dudes up front. So we'll see if, right. if that mindset of a lot of movement from UC's side changes against this type of a, of an offensive line. But, you know, I think, I think it'll be a close game. I absolutely think UC can go in there and win. I still think there are realistic questions just like, can I say you see will win without seeing the offensive line function against a good to really good front seven? I, I just can't say it yet. I, you know, it's kind of one of those things like I need to see this team go on the road and beat a competent team before I'm going to start predicting that they're going to do that. Yeah, what's our old Marvin Lewis adage? I see better than I hear. Like, I just want to see it. I think, I totally think. It, they can win. And if, you know, if you asked me last, you know, obviously we picked Pitt to win. Like, I might have even picked UC to win now. Trying not to overreact too much to week one. But I still just, I just want to see it. Like, I just want to see the tackles hold up when they know they're coming, when they have true speed, you know, true speed rushers that have size and have variations to their moves and, and all those things. And I want to see how Emory Jones handles pressure. Like how many times does he, you know, bail UC out or how many times does he put the ball in a bad spot because of pressure? Well, and I think here's the other thing you have to be cognizant of one. You're not going to have guys just running wide open. No, not against there, those there DBs. Were, there were guys, I mean, there were what three or four times against DKU that there were guys just sometimes almost just standing wide open, like, <laughs> Hey, throw it here. Um, you're not going to have that. And two, you can't anticipate that Emory Jones is going to have time to just stand there and wait for deep routes to develop. Yeah. Because that's a big part of how they were able to take shots was he had a bunch of time and they had way more talent at wide receiver than Eastern had in their secondary. So yeah. it's going to be quick game. Satterfield talked about that yesterday. You know, that's one of the things that they've done when they've prepared for Pitt in the past is kept their quarterback on, you know, kept his trained him during the week that three seconds, three and a half seconds, like they're coming. 
Like it, you, you don't. Oh, no, you have... gotta, you gotta get it. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna be faster than that, really. I mean, I, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you get the two and a half, yeah, they're coming. Like, well, they're, I mean, that's, they're gonna that's be the there. Thing with with Scott's offense, like, how much more? Like, how much more will they lean into the run? How much more will they use misdirection? Use orbit motion? Just trying to get dudes to move. Like, yeah. you know. We don't want to be stagnant. We don't want you to just be able to sit there and go, this is what they're going to do. I mean, MJ Devonshire is a really good corner. He's also 5'10". Like, how much does that impact D. Wiggins and Xavier Henderson? Like, and Donovan you know, Ollie. Yeah. Like, like, maybe Donovan Ollie's a good fit against this, this defense because he's big and physical and can maybe go get some of those balls against smaller guys in the intermediate range. Yeah. Um, that's to me yeah. that's the inter- it, it, can they pass in the intermediate range like what does emory jones look like when he has to be sharp seven to 15 yards mm-hmm. yeah you sure. know yeah i don't know how I, many I, I don't know how many half rolls and just stand back there and throw 50 yards downfield i mean they absolutely I won't say will because I have no idea, but they absolutely should test them deep. I mean, those those are some of your players' best assets. But sure. you also have to protect long enough to to make it work, and you have to disguise it well enough to where the safety on the snap isn't just flying back to help the corners, be, you know, and just coming over the top and intercepting it or knocking the ball away. Like, you have to be able to work the interior. You have to occupy the safety. So the tight ends will be important. The running backs will be important. Like I said, how you move guys around. Like I would expect a lot more motion. I would expect more of Aaron Turner, more Braden Smith, quick stuff. Get the ball in their hands, make a couple moves. Six yards, that's fine. Second and four, whatever. Like just keep yourself out of these third and long where they truly can get in their pass happy, pass rush happy sets and kind of go at the quarterback and truly test the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, and, and how do you open up the deep ball? You hit on the intermediate stuff. You hit on your run game. So then they do have to maybe bring an extra guy in the box or or pay a little bit more attention to the, the guy in motion or, or whatever the case may be. And then maybe you're more able to go deep from there, but you're not going to be able to do what they did Saturday, which is establish everything else based no. off of going over the top. They they absolutely came out with the game plan that I did not expect. I figured they'd just lean on the run game and pound them, and they came out chucking. If they do that again this week, I will be stunned. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I think that's – I think you, you run the ball, you use the new clock rule, you use your interior, you use your stable of running backs, you use your receivers that can – that can flourish in that type of wide offense, you know, reverses, sweeps, stuff like that. And then you start trying to hit him with maybe some deep shots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what's their, their special team prognosis? Anything? I think it's special. I mean, I think they got a pretty solid kicker. Um, which, you know, again, kick, you know, kicking, in that stadium, you know, I don't know what I think the weather's supposed to be okay, but kicking in that stadium, at least in one end, has always been a challenge. Kicking on grass is always different than kicking on turf. I know Carter Brown has experience kicking on grass at Arizona State, but it, 
you know, it's probably a different type of grass, which I don't know if that matters or not, but uh, I know as a golfer it does. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it does for a kicker. Um, so yeah, just another, another unknown, another, you know, question that we'll have going into, into this game. And you brought up something else I wanted to get to grass. This is not a UC team that has played on grass. I don't know the last time that any of them have stepped on a blade of grass. Um, East, <laughs> they, East Carolina and UCF has have grass. They they do get lucky in that it is uh, there has not been a Steelers game yet. They have not played fifty high school games yet on that field, so no. it should it should be fairly well manicured grass, but. What impact do you think grass can have uh, as a, a, what maybe slow things down? Or... As, as long as it's not wet, I mean, it's just a matter of getting your footing and understanding how your how your breaks are and how your cuts are different than on turf. Um, it should, I, you know, as early in the season, as long as it's not wet, I I don't think they'll they'll be a uh, a you know, appreciable, whatever difference. I don't think it'll really matter. Yes. As Kripkeeker said, also, also temple. Uh, yeah. So, but I don't, I don't think it matters. I think this just, it comes down to, you know, to me, it's a pretty simple matchup of UC's offensive line versus their defensive line. I think UC has the advantage when, it's when they're on defense. Um, you know, I think outside of Sammy Anderson's availability, um, I didn't, I think everybody probably came out team wide pretty healthy. I mean, you got 79 guys in, nobody should be super tired even after a, a very hot game. Uh, the weather's going to turn tomorrow, should be more fall-like, so I'm not really concerned about that. Plus, both teams are going to play more of a ball control game anyway, so, you know, it's going to be a quicker game. It's going to be a lower snap count type of game. So, I think it's a, it's a, it's an offensive-defensive line game, and it's a mistake game. Do we force yeah. – can we – do we force any mistakes? Do we get more pressure on them than we did at the in the first half of last week? And, you know, do they force us into any turnovers? So, you know, and that's a, of course, that's, you know, oh, wow, really going out on the limb there saying, (laughs) but, you know, I think in a close game, that's, that matters. And I think it will be a close game. Let's see. We are looking at showers early, scattered thunderstorms developing later in the day. Chance of rain, 50%, high of 77 degrees. Yeah. So. A little bit different than like 90 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I think over under I looked at is 47 and a half. Yeah. That's a. I I might. I might be. I don't know. I I just, I don't think there's going to be a ton of offense in this game, Dave. No, I, I agree. I think I'm, I'm I'm looking at like you know 27-24 something like that. Yeah, I think I'm kind of around there. 
I even was contemplating yesterday, just kind of looking at things like 23-20 is not out of the the equation here, I don't think. 21-20, yeah. I mean, like, there's a a lot of uh a lot of low scores i could see i could see happening i and look you know what's going to happen if this team scores 23 oh the offense was that was fraudulent week 1 emory jones isn't the guy you got to give credit to the fact that pitt is really good defensively and have been for a long time yeah i mean it's just a it's we have one data point and then we'll have two data points and like I don't think you're gonna draw a conclusion, a definitive conclusion, one way or the other after this game. Right. Like even if UC goes out and plays well and wins, I'm not gonna all of a sudden go. Well, now I think they're gonna win nine games. Well, if they go out and score forty-two against a really good defense, then my I'm going to get out over my skis a little bit about the offense. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that, but I'm still going to like tamp down full on season expectations because I'm sure I'm still going to go. Okay. Well, how good is Pitt? We know, you know, and you know, but again, like there's teams that we have different opinions on already in the big 12 after one week. Like that's just the way it goes. But I just, I want to Especially with the new offense and, and a new staff and everything, I just want to see more data points before I come close to making some definitive statement on what I think this team's going to do for the next three months. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, ultimately for me, we know Pitt has a good defense. We know they have a good scheme. We know they have good players. We know they have a good defensive coach. If Cincinnati comes out and – you know, is is really good offensively. It, it will change my perception of things to, to an extent. I will also say I don't expect that to happen. <laughs> yeah, that that would be a surprise to me. Yeah. Uh, are you are you, what What do you think about what, what's the line at eight? Did it drop back down to seven and a half? I've seen it at seven and a half and seven. I mean, I would take you seeing the points. Um. Like I think I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna say 27, 24. Still hit. at seven and a half currently. Yeah. I'm yeah, gonna, I think I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning still pit by a field goal. Yeah. Where I mean, that field goal is 24, 21, 27, I just, 24. I'm not. I'm less in line with like I think Pitt is good. As it is, I still just I just still have questions about UC that I want answered before I pick them yeah. to win a road game. I think that's fair against I think the, gonna... against the fifth year quarterback in a familiar offense with a good de- like with a good defense like they just have more more qu- answers to questions. They might not be great. They might be a seven and five, eight and four team, but I I can't in good conscience just pick UC when I have bigger questions about them. Here's the thing that does raise my eyebrow, Dave. Ten. This Brian Brown defense held Pitt to ten last year. That raises my eyebrow a little bit. For sure. I mean, they had Israel Banakanda. He had a good game. Keaton Slovis was awful in that game. How much yeah. better or is, you know, how much better 
is Phil Dracovic? Um is he better? I mean, they seem their fans seem to think he's a lot better. I don't know what they're judging that on. Like, um, nothing he did at, against Walford would tell me that he's like substantially better. And you know, he's probably he better. Than, great at BC. He's probably better than Keen Slovis, but like, how much better? Right. And Keen Slovis was terrible in that game. Like, he threw a couple interceptions. Then I was just like, how do you have a Division One scholarship? And how did you start at USC? <laughs> well, that just gave you a glimpse of the state of USC at that point in time. Right. I don't know. That That's the one data point that I look at that kind of raises my eyebrow. And yes, I know, obviously, things are different. Players are different. But the offensive coordinator is the same. And I like Cincinnati's talent defensively. So... Let's just say 17. Like, they get 17. If they've only got 17, I feel pretty good about Cincinnati walking away with a win. Yeah. No, Marcus, uh, Signetti was there last year. This is his second year at Pitt. That was the year before yeah, that, when, yeah, he, the year when, before. when he fired Mark Whipple. Because he because so, he uh, didn't run the ball enough when they had yeah, Kenny Pickett they it, and they went Kenny Pickett threw it too much. <laughs> they went to the damn Peach Bowl and Ke- but Kenny Pickett threw it too much. That tells you what they want to do. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the other thing is you know the the age old question around here that carries over: can they can they stop the run? Yeah. I feel a little, you know, a decent about it because I don't think Pitt really has a a bell cow, like a dominant back. Well, I mean, like, I'm kind of glad EKU busted a couple runs. Yeah. Because, you know, if you just totally shut them down, you have nothing. Like, Pitt totally shut down Wofford's running game. You know, if I'm a coach, I'm like, did we do great or were they just were we just totally overmatched them? Right. Where now you see like can look at the tape and go, look, here's where they beat us, and this is why, and this is what we need to clean up, and we can clean it up because we know what to do and we have the talent to do it. So like in a 66-13 win, I thought offensively, defensively, and special teams, there was enough there. For the for the coaches to to use as far as teach tape and think that they can do better and need to do better against better teams. I also don't think you'll see a lot of Dante Corlea moving from the point of attack in this game. I would hope not. I'm going to be watching that. <laughs> <laughs> Dave has already found the potential. Like this might annoy me all season long, so I'm going to keep an eye on it. Yeah. Just leave him there. Let him let 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 the big man eat. Yeah. One one game is nothing. Two games, that's yeah. Three games, then that's a that's a trend. Then it's maybe you like more athletic nose tackles, but you have Dante Corleone that like shouldn't be dropping in coverage or doing a ton mm-hmm. of uh loop around stunting. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Lou Anarumo has DJ Reader dropping in coverage too often. No, or looping outside the the, the guard. <laughs> right. 
to the tackle on a stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, anything else you want to wrap up on this one? Are you? You're not going, are you? No, we are. Uh, I guess there's a big party at at Mrs. Simone's house. Oh, like a watch party or just yes? Like, oh yeah, uh, okay. tens of people. Yeah, we'll be there. Tens upon tens of people will be there. Maybe so maybe dozens. I don't know. So jello shots will be on the menu. Oh, well, yeah, of course. What was your take on the store-bought brand? They were good. <laughs> Those things were good. They were uh Yeah, I I liked them. Where'd you get them? I was gifted them. So I don't know where they were where they were purchased. Uh Crypt Keeper, yeah, we can borrow Eat Shit Pit when they sing Sweet Caroline. Absolutely. It's just fun to say. You can say it whenever you want. I know, but it it fits in the in the lines yeah. of Sweet Caroline. Which hopefully they sing with great glee, uh, and then exit the stadium with uh infinite sadness. That's right. Um all right. I think that uh, that about wraps it up. I think we're both still where we were at the preview show. We're more likely to lean towards potentially the Bearcats can steal this one after seeing week one, but I'll still take Pitt by a narrow margin, unfortunately. That brings us back to our timestamp. I now have to go back in and find again. There we go. Zero sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free, 6% ABV, bourbon-infused sweet tea, cherry lime, raspberry peach, orange vanilla, 50 locations in greater Cincinnati. Visit turtlesbrew.com for more information and location. A portion of the proceeds go to Save the Sea Turtles. Toledo, Cincinnati, now expanding in central Ohio. Turtlesbrew.com. They will get you taken care of find a location near you do you think that annoys our listeners when we pick against the bearcats because i feel like 95 percent of fan sites and fan pods like never pick against their own team i'm sure it probably does but i i think we over the years our our listeners appreciate our honesty uh above all um i just try to look at both teams objectively, and if I think there's something that would lead me to pick one team over the other, I'm going to. like what? I'll say it like this. I was pretty confident in that pick. I was more confident in that pick, pit pick, you know, seven days ago than I am now. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm sticking with it, but it's not done with the confidence of where we were last week that – we both kind of, I believe, felt that it might take the offense some time to uh, to find a rhythm against Eastern Kentucky. Um, we don't know, again, how much of that was Eastern Kentucky's defense uh, is not good, which we knew they they weren't they weren't good uh, coming into the game, but uh, Cincinnati exposed them as really not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I think what, what 
has elevated my belief a little bit is it looked a lot more like what we like, like it validated what we saw at higher ground that this offense wasn't behind. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't an offense devoid of talent. It wasn't an offense that even against a good defense didn't have their moments every day and didn't like, you know, look like, okay, th- these guys, these guys can make some plays. These guys know what they're doing. These guys have talent at a multitude of spots and not just, okay, they have a good wide receiver. They have a good tight end. Um, we think the two running backs are going to be good. No, I, I think it's, it's really difficult. It's going to prove to be pretty difficult to defend an offense that's got D Wiggins on one side, Xavier Henderson on the other, Braden Smith and Aaron Turner in the slot. Shaman Mateer and Peyton Singletary at tight end, and then the stable of running backs they have, along with a quarterback that is hopefully showing he can be a weapon with his arm and his legs. Now, as our guy Marcus pointed out on the board, like this is what Emory Jones did in their the FCS game at Florida the year that he started. Um, had seven touchdowns and, and looked like, okay, this guy's living up to his potential. Now it's time for him in a game that matters to take the next step. I think it comes down to how good is Emory Jones? If Emory Jones is 27 or more points good, I I would switch my pick. to If I was confident in that, I would switch my pick to Cincinnati immediately. But like you said, I want to see it. I want to see it against a really good defense because if you look at his numbers, where he has struggled is when there has been pressure around him. When, when he has had to make the intermediate throws, make the tough throw with somebody coming. And what did Satterfield say in the press conference? Last year at Louisville, the reason that they were able to win that game was that they had quarterbacks that made the throw right as they were getting hit. You know, they, they made the quick read. They, there was still some pressure. There was still some, some traffic, and they were able to make the throw. If Emory Jones shows us that he has advanced in that area and he can make some tough contested throws, I feel pretty good about Saturday. If it looks like the Emory Jones that has been on tape to this point, I don't feel as great. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good litmus test because while this is a good defense, this isn't Georgia. So it's like, will they have some drives where they struggle? I would anticipate. But then I also anticipate there'll be drives where they look good and can go down the field. Now, the question becomes, how many do we stack in each column? If it's very few or they look good going down the field, then I'm going to lean more towards the, well, EKU just sucked and we maybe just played really, really good. Yeah. If it's the other way around, I'm going, okay, this is you know repeatable and maybe this offense – is more in tune with the play calling and the personnel than, than we even thought. And, you know, I think we're going to see, you know, this is probably, I should have had this pulled up, but, you know, again, one weekend outside of Iowa State, probably the best defense they'll play all year. If not, it's going to be close, I would assume. So... So I think, you know, it'll probably give us a good barometer on, like, what to potentially expect in the Big 12. Again, 
one other data point. Like, no, it's just hard for me to take a ton. Um, but G Mac so, oh, says it annoys me picking you picking against UC versus Pitt, Oklahoma. I understand, given Satterfield's pass with Pitt, I think he can take the dub. He's one and one, like, it, 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 he's not four and one against Pitt in his time at Louisville. He's one and one, and and last year was with Malik Cunningham healthy. Louisville scored 24 points. Yeah. This at is home. a really good pit defense at home. It's a really good pit defense. So I I, I don't agree with you, G Mac. I, I <laughs> it might annoy you picking Pitt against UC because you hate Pitt. I understand that. And what have we said? I think he can take the W. Neither of us are on here saying it's going to be 42 to 14 Pittsburgh. 27, 24, 24, 21, 23, 20, somewhere in that range. We both have pit by a field goal. If Cincinnati's offense can can do some things to Pitt's defense that I want to see happen first, I, I'm not going to be shocked if we're on here next week saying, yeah, we got that one wrong. I don't mind being wrong. I, I try to be objective in the process. Agree. What else you got going into week two, Dave? There's some uh there were some interesting Big 12 results last week and some interesting uh Big 12 week two games. And you know Jeff and I talked a little about it, but you know, I think with more time to digest, I mean we were so focused on the UC game. And talking yeah, to Hayden and talking about that, we probably buzzed through it and just highlighted scores. But like my bo- my boy is Texas Tech. Oh, buddy. Blow 17-0 lead at Wyoming in the first quarter, blow that one, and then come back week two, get to host Oregon. That's fun. That's how you that's how you start the season on a down note. Now it doesn't affect him in the Big Twelve race, but I mean, you start zero and two. You start zero and two for you know, yeah. and I think you got questions. Um, my big shocker though is is Baylor. Like I thought they were going to be better this year, and they got worked by Texas State. Like they 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 never led. Like Texas State controlled that game every time. Baylor felt like they like closed the gap, or they were ready to make that run where they were going to take over. Texas State went right down the field and scored another touchdown. I mean, they looked small on defense. They looked slow. They got gashed. Like, they definitely miss uh, Jackson player who transferred in from Tulsa at D-tackle. And then, I don't know. It was somebody that the UC staff wanted bad. Yeah. They wanted to go home. And then uh, Ataki Ika, or whoever you pronounce his name, I think he was drafted by the Browns, like just huge defensive tackle guy. Like they're they clearly miss those guys defensively, and then offensively, Blake Shapin's out two, three, four weeks possibly with an MCL strain. They got a couple other players out. Like that's a you know they and then they're 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 them just like Texas Tech. Their consolation prize is Utah, who is going. You you had trouble with bully ball, like they're the kings of it, right. It's what they do. So, you know, they're staring at 0-2, and, and then 
have, you know, a FCS game and then just get Texas and UCF after that. Easy peasy. So, you know, they're one that I would be super concerned about. BYU I would be concerned about. 14 nothing against a team in their first ever FBS game. Not great. So, like, at home, 14 nothing against a team in their first ever game in the FBS. Not great, Bob. That's that was a, that's a concern. Uh, and then, what was there was Oklahoma State against Central Arkansas played three quarterbacks, one twenty seven fourteen. But I'm not I'm not sure that uh, they're super super excited there. Like the um, there's some Big Twelve middle that might just not be very good. Yeah, and we thought coming in that that was going to be the strength of the Big 12 is that there wasn't going to be a whole lot of bottom. There was going to be a boatload of middle. And week one, who knows, you know, things can turn around pretty quick from week one if teams can bounce back. And, you know, if you're Texas Tech and you upset Oregon or, I mean, I'm not, Baylor's not going to beat Utah, I don't think, given what I saw from Baylor against Texas State. But, um you know, so. it, it, it's going to be an interesting week. I think, actually, I think that is what I want to do Wednesday nights on the uh, the nightcap is is the Big Twelve like look ahead, um, and then we'll touch on it here as well. And I, I think this is a good spot on Wednesday. I think Wednesday is kind of turn the page, like close the book on the week yeah. before, start to look at the week ahead. Um, so we'll do a little bit of that here. Anything else on the the national landscape that catches your eye for this week other than Texas, Alabama? Mm. Can Texas beat Alabama, Dave? No. No? No. No. I do I do not think Texas is going to beat Alabama. Okay. They're and back. With Alabama. They're back. They're just not that back. Is Alabama really good? This Alabama? I don't know, but uh, Jalen Milrow played a lot better. Again, week one, I don't even know who they played. Probably some FCS team, but, you know, I don't know. I'm, I just – I don't see them going to Tuscaloosa and getting a win. Uh, Illinois, Kansas, Friday night should be, a, should they, be a fun one. They played Middle Tennessee, Alabama yeah. 56, Middle Tennessee 7. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Illinois, Kansas Friday night should be a fun one. Hopefully Jalen Daniels plays. He missed the first game with some back issues. Back spasms. I think if it, if he misses another game, I think then you start to be like, okay, what's, what's really going on? Like you said, he was going to play the first game and he didn't. And now he hasn't played two games. So, um, UTEP is a favorite at Northwestern. That's that's a thing. Poor Ben. It's, it's, Poor it's ben a, Ryan. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I, feel, I feel so bad for Benny. I love that kid. Well, grown ass man now, the like 24. I don't yeah. call him a kid anymore. Here, here's my <laughs> my uh my FCS over FBS upset special. Holy Cross, okay. I'm gonna say beats Boston College. Ooh. Boston College Boston already, College down bad without Jerkovich. They they already lost to Northern Illinois this year, so Here's here's a sneaky one to look at. Couple couple look ahead games. 
Miami is only a six and a half point favorite over UMass at home. Ouchie. And That's not good. does this matter? Pitt plays West Virginia next week. I can't imagine Pitt overlooking Cincinnati. I can't either, but I know it's a backyard brawl. It means something. It's it's important to all of those people. I would be maybe a little bit more interested in that if, if the game was in Cincinnati. But yeah. it's at Heinz Field. There's going to be hundreds of Pitt fans there, maybe even <laughs> thousands. Tens of um, thousands. Ten, yeah, like like a, like just one, not plural. A ten of thousands. Teen, teens of thousands. <laughs> um, they they were always my favorite with the announced attendance. They would be like announced attendance is fifty six thousand, and they would show the stadium in the middle of the first quarter, and yeah, there would be fifty six hundred uh, people in the stands. Um, couple couple fun ones, I think. Troy at Kansas State. Kansas I'm, State I'm a, big. Oh, I mean, I, I'm sure they will. They're only 16 and a half point favorites. Like, I'm a huge John Sumrall fan, Troy's coach. Like, I, I think know. he's going to be in the you SEC him here. next next year. Um, you were a proponent a, of him here. I was. That's a fun one, I think. Um, if you're into, if you're a masochist, Iowa, Iowa State. What's the over under on that? That one's interesting. Uh, Old Miss Tulane three thirty on the Iowa State thirty six yeah. and a half under. <laughs> you want to talk about a masochist? Yeah. Uh, you bet the Iowa Iowa State Mississippi under. to Ole Miss Tulane. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss oh, I bet an Iowa under last year that was like low low thirties and it hit. Yeah, Ole Miss two lanes an interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. Would love to watch Washington, but they're on Pac-12 Network. Like, I think they're a ton of fun. Could be a sneaky playoff team, possibly. But you want to you want to talk about how bad is Indiana? Go watch Michael Penix play quarterback at Indiana, and then watch <laughs> him play quarterback at Washington. Yeah, it's not the same human. I mean, he's healthy, one. he's healthy one, but yes, it doesn't – like, they're not playing – those guys aren't playing the same sport. He he was healthy going into the UC game. Yeah. And he was terrible. Dreadful. SM, SMU Oklahoma, I want to see Oklahoma against a team whose coach probably won't cry on the sideline. Uh, I also have an irrational amount of hate for SMU for no reason. Oh, the the stuff that's coming out of that Dallas recently. Like, there was an article on ESPN today where some SMU guy was, like, talking about letting the beast out. I'm like, like these guys are the Tennessee fraternity guy whose dad has an awesome house at Norris Lake who has an RV that comes to every game to tailgate and feeds – and gets all the fraternity guys drunk and they all know it. And they just have that. They, they, you know, they give the son a bid because they're like, we get to go to this dude's lake house all the time. We hate and, this guy. 
We don't want to spend one second with this guy, but we're going to let him in the club. Yeah. I, it, I, I mean, I should, I should not care one bit, like not one damn bit because they're, they're people in Dallas don't care one damn bit, but right. <laughs> so why do I care? But uh, you know, it all, of course it goes back to the never released episode 12 of the Hilltop. You know, that that's the start of it all. And then now just all these articles, like, all these articles about a program that hasn't actually won anything ever. Hasn't done anything ever. <laughs> so ever, whatever. Ever. So ever, part of me, ever, part of me ever. wants to see how they do. Cause maybe it shows maybe some blemishes in Oklahoma. Another part of me wants to see Oklahoma, like beat them a hundred to nothing. <laughs> yeah, Marcus, I'm definitely checking out Boise UCF, although I'm not, I'm a little more down on Boise than I was going into the season after their Washington game. I think Washington's real good, but they they really did not fare very well uh, against the Huskies. So I think UCF will – that spread's only three and a half. I, I thought it would be more than that. Yeah. But, no, I think there's – you know, if you're with UC on the road and you're going to sit at home all day, I think this Saturday is a much better full day, like starting – I think Colorado, Nebraska is at eleven o'clock. Like, wow. yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some, if yeah. If you're a real sicko, there are. No, it's noon, but there is an eleven o'clock game, Vandy Wake Forest. So well, that'll be eleven a.m. Central. So yeah, if yeah. you're a real sicko, you can start watching from eleven a.m. and go all the way. I mean, there's several good seven o'clock games. You got Texas, Alabama. Oregon TC or Oregon Texas Tech, UCF Boise, uh, and then Wisconsin Washington State at seven thirty, Arizona Mississippi State, UCLA San Diego State. Like, let's see what, what kind of late nighters do we got? Auburn Cal, if you really care, Stanford. U- oh, USC is actually on Fox, so you get to watch them um, for the first time this year. <laughs> Two games on Pac twelve Network. I won't. I still won't be watching anything on ESPN. So uh, I, I made. I made the switch. I got YouTube Did TV. You? So Did yeah. I probably I, should have. I just like I, I. I wasn't gonna miss the. Like I wanted to watch LSU Florida State, and I'm just not gonna sit here while these two, you know, figure it out. Yeah. Try to figure it out. I like how they're both. They're both trying to get people to sign up for either. Uh, Hulu TV or whatever, uh, Spectrum Fubo yeah. or whatever, yeah. but still keep right, like pay pay us even more than like sign up for this while we're fighting with each other, but right. don't get rid of us. You know, just wait it out. Sign up for pay more for this other one just so you can watch. You know, <laughs> like why would anybody do that? I have even ESPN Plus. Geoffrey, you're not allowed to watch it if you have Spectrum Cable. Yeah, you can only watch ESPN Plus things. So you could watch the UC game against DKU, but you couldn't see anything that was on ESPN, ESPN2. ESPN it it right. was only exclusive, no live content. Ex- well, exclusive ESPN Plus stuff. Right. No, no live network content. Right. ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPNU. You don't yeah. get any of that. 
You just get if if it's on ESPN Plus, which I don't fucking want to watch anything that's on ESPN Plus. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, but but I mean, like, thankful, like basketball season, the their whole like non conference schedule is going to be on ESPN Plus. Yeah, I'm good then. It's fine. So yeah, you know, <laughs> well yeah, you'll because you'll be at the games, but like you know, people right. people will be like, uh, you know, if it's not, I'm sure it'll be resolved by then. But either way. I would hope it's resolved by Friday. God damn it. Figure it out. Oh, it also if you're a uh if you're a gambler in a gambling state, if you make a five dollar bet on FanDuel, you can get uh Sunday ticket hundred dollars off on YouTube TV. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. So but yeah, there's a lot of I mean, it feels like a much better full menu on Saturday if you're just gonna plop your ass on the couch and watch 12 straight hours of football or you plop your ass on the couch for like five right. hours then go to holy grail to watch the bearcats and you can catch alabama texas and a bunch of those other games that you mentioned they'll have them up on the tvs the bearcats will be the main draw um they should put the alabama texas game on like one tv in the corner and all the other tvs on the uc game no, that's not how they do things. The, the good thing now is they have, like, on each side, they have two massive screens that they'll put the main game on, and then they'll do the other stuff on the, the normal 60-inch or whatever screens where, you know, the, the main one is going to be the one that's drawing your attention, and all the other ones are, are good. I always love... You see, just offered an offensive lineman. I love when they put their nicknames in their Twitter bios or in their Twitter. Uh-huh. This guy, this guy's nickname is Big Stacks. Big Stacks. Big Stacks. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> uh, we there were some uh, recruits on hand. Obviously, Keegan is uh, working on that. E- yeah, eff- efforting that. Fill us in a little bit on the the basketball side of things. So, you know, you had Tyler McKinley there. Uh, you had uh, LeBaron Phylon in for uh, an official visit. And then Jasper Johnson, uh, who's a 2025 top 10 player uh, from Wofford County in Kentucky, um, on as well. LeBaron Phylon is really interesting. Uh, I've asked a couple people about my take on this, Dave. Okay. And they have partially agreed with me. In okay. today's day and age, it is just as dangerous if you are looking at a kid that has your school and the other three schools involved are Alabama, Ole Miss, and Kansas. As it were, if he three years ago had Cincinnati, Duke, North Carolina, and Kentucky. Now, that is not to say that those schools have the prestige or the ability to just, like, flop their junk on the table and and get a commitment. But in today's day and age, the three schools that might be, and, and you could probably add Auburn, like, you know, and he committed to Auburn at one point and decommitted. Uh those might be the four schools that you don't want to see the most. Alabama, Ole Miss, Auburn, Kansas. Because they have guys that head coach that they're just get shit done. I don't care what it takes. I don't care 
I don't care if there are rules. I don't care if there aren't rules. Um, our job in recruiting, like I talked to somebody this week that said, uh, Bill Self has kind of quietly decided if they're not in the top 15, then if they're, if they're in high school and they're not in the top 15, I'm not recruiting them. Yeah. Because he can swim in those waters. And I, I've told you guys the rumors. I've heard they've got, at minimum, their their base salary cap, their, their base floor, salary floor for Kansas basketball is $8 million in NIL money. Every year? Every year. <laughs> That's the bottom. And then if they need to go get a Hunter Dickinson for $2 million or whatever the case may be, he can go out and, and get whatever. But they have committed... $8 million a year to their NIL fund for basketball. <laughs> That's a lot. It's clean, it's clean living right there. It's a lot. <laughs> now, that's not accusing anybody of cheating. That's just saying. If the kid flops down a, a top four and three of those schools are Alabama, Ole Miss, and, and, and Kansas, you got a fight on your hands. A big one. Um, is is Kansas a state that the school can be involved in NIL? No, nobody can. Nobody can. Technically. Oh, there are That's some That's the NCAA. No. It, the NCAA states the schools cannot procure. Right, but there's been state legislature that's gone over that. Good luck. With, I mean. Good, I mean, good luck winning. The NCAA doesn't win anything in court anymore, so. No, you're right. But, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I think Cincinnati's done a great job. Um, I said this on Monday, too. If I if I think there's one of those schools to, to worry about more than the others, it's Ole Miss. Um, I believe the, the, his, the guy that got him committed to Auburn is now on staff at Ole Miss. Uh, they've, they've had the longest relationship with him. He's from Alabama. So he's down in that, you know, area. A lot of those kids like to stay in the deep South. So we'll see. Uh, it seemed like he had a great visit. Take your swings and, uh, we'll see, you know, kind of where the chips fall. Um, Jasper Johnson, he might be the best player UC's recruiting. Like, Dave, I watched him score 12 points in like 90 seconds. Yeah. Of an AAU game. Yeah, and and it, it was something he did. It felt like once a weekend, like at every AAU event, he had a stretch where he just hit like five shots in two, three minutes. If the three threes and an and one, uh, when I, the event I was in in Memphis, he's just electric. His dad is played in the NFL. The problem you worry about that there is he's in Wofford, Wofford, Woodford County, which is uh, Wofford County, which is right outside of Lexington. And his dad was a uh, big time player at Kentucky and played in the NFL. There's a lot of UK love there. So. Oh yeah, we'll I have I have an update to my own question. Uh, the states currently that it has been enacted into law that can be involved in their NIL deals: uh, Nebraska, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Arkansas, Tennessee, 
um, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Florida. The states where they're, they are involved in their NIL collective, uh, also known as 50, all of them. Well, I'm just saying, legally. <laughs> I'm just that's why I'm saying, and, and, and sure, I'm that, you know. There's a handful that are that are pending governor's signature. There are some that have been um, awaiting proposals to go through, but yeah, it's an ever evolving thing. The NCAA has no teeth. Like it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Everybody's involved in their NIL collective everywhere. Everywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean. They're swimming with sharks, boy. You're, you're gonna have to put the big hook on, get some some juicy meat on there, and see if you can snag a couple of these guys. But great to have them on campus. They had a great time. It looked like they were hanging out with Tyler. You know, both all those guys kind of know each other from the EYBL circuit uh, and from you know USA Basketball and the you know Top 100 camp and Pangos camp and all the stuff that they do around the country. So you know. They're swinging. They're swinging. Right. And then you'll have Jace Richardson and, and Tyler Betsy here in a couple weeks for the Oklahoma game. I'm sure you'll see a bunch of uh, highly ranked youngsters on unofficial visits here that weekend as well. Um, yeah. So anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I don't really have a whole lot either. I mean, I think no. These these Wednesday shows right now are pretty cut and dry. Yeah. We don't we don't have to to hang around and you know talk just to talk. Let's let's, let's preview the opponent and get the hell out of here. Get the people on their way. Absolutely. All right. You have a great night. Thanks to Aaron Smith, producer extraordinaire. Thanks to the Grail Team Ticker Turtles Brew. Home field apparel. Support our sponsors. We'll see you next time. This is the BCJ Podcast presented by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com.